Good morning. Hope you're having a great Saturday. This is Susan Stewart, co-host of the Master Gardener Hour. Thank you for joining us today. I'm delighted to welcome John Grady Burns with us, who is a masterful floral designer. And we have a very special program planned for you today. And um, John is going to describe how to create simple arrangements from the things that all of us have in our backyard throughout all the different seasons. So welcome, John. We're delighted to have you. Well, thank you. Good morning. John and I have been friends for several years now, and I'm just awed by the scope of his work. And um, if you would start, John, and just introduce yourself and tell the audience how you got into floral design all the way from Mississippi State University. Interesting. How did I get into floral design? Well, I wish I could give you this big, long, beautiful, flowery story that I've loved flowers all my life, but that would be a lie. (laughs) It was all accidental that I got into flowers. Actually, I started in horticulture, uh, which is a great background for you master gardeners. Uh, My advantage in floral design is that I know so much about the local shrubs and flowers and things that can be utilized. But anyway, horticulture was my um, degree, and floral design was one of the electives. So I kept putting it off because I kept thinking, me, do flowers? I don't think so. Well, the day came, it was time to take floral design. And guess who fell in love with flowers? (laughs) So had your family always been avid gardeners? Is that why you chose horticulture? No, not really. Um, That was an accident also. (laughs) When I went to college, I planned on being a teacher. I wanted to teach either the special ed or the mentally challenged or, you know, somewhere along those lines. So, as you know, in the 70s, houseplants were the rave. And, of course, I had all these houseplants, and they were so much fun, and I enjoyed nurturing them and growing them. And so I had a party one night, and this guy said, oh, you must be a horticulture major. And I said, a what? He said, a horticulture major. I said, what is that? He said, it's a study of plants. I said, oh, no, 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 don't tell me that I can go to school and get a degree in doing this. He said, oh, yes. So guess what? Monday morning, I found the horticulture (laughs) department. So everything has been by accident, but I guess meant to be. Well, um, so you fell in love with flowers and the arranging of flowers, and was it a quick start? Was it a brilliant start, successful from the moment you You know, I have to say probably not. It really wasn't. I took Floral Design 1, and, of course, there was some intimidation because I didn't know what I was doing, and it's all about scale and balance, and you had to learn all the basics. And, you know, you took my Floral Design class. So, you know, I try to teach these really important things because if you have the basics, then you can be creative. So, anyway, I struggled through the first class, but I really enjoyed it. It was fun. So, my professor asked me if I was going to take Floral Design 2. And my first question was, well, do I need it? He said, well, it's another elective, and I think you would enjoy it. So, for him to say that led me to believe he knew more than I knew. So, I followed his lead. I took Floral Design 2. And I think about halfway through that class is when it registered. I really like this. And I think I know what I'm doing. (laughs) So I think from that point, yes. But at first, no. And did you go to work for a florist? You know, I did not. Um, When I graduated in 82, there was a bit of a recession. Jobs were a very hard thing to come by. Uh, 
I was offered a job in two cities. One was in D.C., but I didn't know anyone, and I really didn't think I could afford it. The second one was in New Orleans, and I thought, that's a bad city for me. I'd be in the gutter in a week. <laughs> now, we did so, forget to say that you're from Natchez, right? Correct. I'm from Natchez, Mississippi, a beautiful city. If you've never been, please put it on your bucket list. Um, but anyway, I accepted a job in Memphis as a, in a wholesale florist as an assistant manager. And at first, I you know I wasn't crazy about it, but I thought you know this this is a good job, good money, close to home. I cannot begin to tell you how beneficial that has been to my life because I learned so much about different types of flowers, how to process them, what's the best way to maintain them, the longest, the longevity of the flowers. So I created another base for me that I had no idea would be so beneficial in my future. So obviously it was the right decision. Mm-hmm. And then did you get to Washington later in your um, career? Well, I did go to Washington when I first graduated. Um, my professor was very good friends with two guys in D.C. who did a who, – well, both of them have passed away, but they used to do a whole lot of work with the White House. They were like the outside flower shop. So I went to work for them knowing that I was going to be able to do work in the White House at the vice president's home, a lot of different dignitaries and embassies. So it was really um, an honor that my professor uh, – recommended me for this position so i did go there in december of 81 and i was there for the month and really got to see and do a lot of wonderful things oh i bet so that's when i was offered the job but i didn't think i could make it financially (laughs) so now you have your own floral business i do it is not retail uh, but i do weddings parties events dinner parties you know things like that and you're an author Correct. I have two books, working on a third. Oh, that's exciting. When's the third one going to be out? I hope maybe within about a year is what we're shooting for. We're going to try to wrap up our photography the end of September, um, take October, November, December, kind of get the layout together and see what else we may need, and then it will go to the printers. So um, we're going to come back and talk about your books later okay? and some of the other business that you're doing. But I want to talk to our listeners about um, – not being intimidated by going out in their backyard and picking some things and, you know, making a simple arrangement for the dinner party that they're having that night or the company that they're having for the weekend. And um, I know before I met you, it never would have entered my mind to take my clippers and go out in my backyard <laughs> and just start cutting away, thinking that I could put together something. So so help us break down that intimidation just so we go get our clippers and head to the backyard. I think the first thing is if you will look through magazines or there's lots of books you know, available on floral designs, find something you like. Find something that says who you are as a person and that goes with the style of your home. Take that photograph and then what you want to do is try to mimic it. So you can go to your garden and you can find either foliages or flowers that may be growing uh, that would represent what's in the photograph. Say there's a peony in the arrangement, but you don't have peonies, but you have roses. They are the same shape, a little bit different size, but it'll mimic the arrangement. So find things in your garden or your neighbors if you want to run next door and they're not home uh, <laughs> that will resemble that arrangement. And then start practicing. You know, don't be afraid to 
uh, try anything because that's how you learn what you can do better next time. I don't like calling it a mistake. I like to call it what you can learn to do next time that will make it better. I remember when I was in school and working at the uh, flower shop on campus, Ralph, my professor, would tell us to do that very thing. Take a photograph, put it on the wall. He said, every arrangement that goes out that week, copy that photograph. He said, the arrangement's not going to the same person, so you have the chance to practice. And then at the end of the week, he said, you're going to be amazed at how quick and easy it is to do that same arrangement. So just don't be afraid to try it. Nobody's watching. It's just you. And then when you finish, you can kind of critique yourself, but don't beat yourself up. Okay. All right. That, I mean, that, that gets me ready to go. So as I look in my yard... Maybe we should talk about the neighbor's yard first. It's called Yardia. Yardia. Because it's somebody else's yard. <laughs> okay. So we do that um, admire and acquire. Exactly. Those yep. who have the sharpest snips and the fastest <laughs> car always wins. <laughs> so um, we're looking out in our backyard or our neighbor's backyard, and, and what do we see? Well, it depends on who your neighbor is, for one, and if they're a master gardener, for two. <laughs> you know, you may see wonderful things like camellia foliage, pittosporum, azaleas, nandinas, uh, boxwoods, uh, glossy abelia, leucothwe, larpetalum, iliagnus, uh, fatsia, fatshetera, uh, hosta foliage. These are all things that come to my mind that I enjoy working with. So, you know, it's always nicer to cut from their yard if they have it, that your, the way your yard still looks good. <laughs> but, you know, these are things that you want to consider uh, what you may want to put in your yard, as well as if your neighbor has it, then you may want to plant something different in your yard so that you can choose from both uh, venues or, you know, to pick. But you've mentioned very common shrubbery. I hope so, because they're all good southern plant material. They all grow well in this area. And part of it is knowing don't trim like the leucothwe, the larpetalum, the iliagnus, the abelia so much into little meatballs, because it's those wonderful whips that grow that I like working with, because that creates drama. Anytime you add a line to your arrangement, you're creating drama, be it a branch, be it long, skinny whips from the Iliagnus or the Lacothwe or Larpetalum. So, you know, make sure you plant your shrubs in the right place so that you can let it grow the way it needs to, to your benefit. Mm -hmm. There's a great book. Um, it was called The Flower Arranger's Garden that I read. And um, it was England, so... Yeah, I've heard of it. I don't think I've seen it, though. But it was just so interesting when you think about planning your landscape outside or planning your perennial bed to plan those beds with the idea of, hmm, now what could I cut and <laughs> use inside for Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is one step before... Um, prior to the one that we're talking about because we're talking about what we've already got out there in our backyard. But, I mean, that's encouraging that all of the things that you've mentioned, I mean, there are at least four of these that just happen to be in my backyard right now. There you go. Like I said, they're all good southern plant material. They do great in this area. So if you're planting a garden, then you may want to plan to utilize some of these shrubs but make sure you put them in the right place so they get the right amount of sun. They're able to grow the way you want them to grow so that you can get the benefit of the foliage. You know, oftentimes people plant too many together. They get crowded. They get leggy. So you as a gardener will understand how important it is 
uh, to give them enough room between each other and to keep them in in the area they need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's usually the builder contracting landscapers exactly. that exactly. put the um, the huge. 12-foot trees, you know, within two feet of each other. So or, we, or 15 pittosporums in a five-foot area. Yeah, yeah. But the master gardeners know differently. So um, what flowers am I seeing outside? And I, I know, know that's seasonal, but, you know, you probably see things that, you know, I don't see. Well, you know, if you the first things we talked about were kind of shrubs. So if you go to, say, flowering bushes or shrubs, then you're kind of in somewhat of the same uh, area. I talked about the camellias. I talked about the azaleas. But you could add hydrangeas, and there are different types of hydrangeas. You've got your limelight. You've got your PG. You've got your mop head. um, You have the lace cap. So you could have a shrub that gives you foliage as well as flowers in in that case. Of course, there are roses. There are gardenias. There are forsythias, spireas. And then there's one I have in my yard called a curia. It's a Japanese curia. And mine is actually the double bloom. And that one is my favorite. It's like a little golden yellow pom-pom. Can if you, you're familiar with it. Can you spell that for I our I believe listeners? it's K-E-R-I-A, Japanese curia. And it's the double bloom. Uh, it's like forsythia. It just blooms once a year. And at the rest of the year, it's just a green shrub. Okay, John, I hate to interrupt you, but we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back very shortly for more with John Grady Burns. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is Michael Gano with the Middle East Research Center Limited, bringing you Insight to Israel, the truth about the greatness of the Jewish state and its struggle for sovereignty and security, every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is Cheryl Linker, host of the Master Gardener Hour on America's Web Radio, Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. Join us as we keep things fun and interesting as we educate you in the world of master gardening. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. We are back on the Master Gardener Hour with John Grady Burns, and we're talking about simple arrangements from our backyard. And, John, you were saying that there are lots of flowering shrubs that would be great to use. Absolutely. So um, I, I, the Japanese Korea that you were mentioning, is that something mm-hmm. that we're going to be able to pick up at the local garden shop? You should be able to. Um, I think I found mine locally at Ash Simpson Garden Center. Um, it's it's a pretty common southern shrub. It's another one of those great plants that could be a good pass along because it really spreads. So wherever you plant it, make sure that it can spread. 
because um, it can be somewhat invasive. It's not just horribly invasive because it's easy to cut grass around it and keep it contained, but it does spread by the roots. So it's very easy to dig up a small piece and share it with a friend. Mm-hmm. And um, we do have a nationwide audience with us today. So it's not just the southeastern shrubs, and I know that we're so used to what we go and pick out in our backyard. Think about all of the plethora of variety that you you would have if you were in some of the southwestern areas or, you know, up in the northeast. Well, that makes me think of how happy I would be if I were in the northeast with my hydrangeas. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I love hydrangeas, and they're beautiful up there. Yeah, so um, let's talk about the trees that you often incorporate into an okay, arrangement. Okay, kind of the same thing as your flowering shrubs. You can step into trees that are easy to, to grow um, and great to use in arrangements. There's your dogwood. You've got your cherries, and you have both types of cherries, uh, both the Kwanzan and the uh, Yoshino. My favorite is the Yoshino for the look. The Kwanzan, um, I think, usually holds up a little bit better. It's more the balls, the big hot pink balls of blooms. But you've got a peach, the flowering peach. You've got like the tulip magnolia. The only thing I would recommend that you do not cut and bring into your home is a Bradford pear. They stink. (laughs) They have horrible smelling blooms. And you don't realize it until you bring them inside into an enclosed area. And from a landscaping perspective, I've heard so many terrible things about putting Bradford pears out in your yard, but I've never heard that they don't smell good uh, when you bring them in. They are beautiful, but when you bring them in, and I learned that the hard way, had it at a little event, and there was a four-year, uh, you know, little entrance four-year into the event. So the Bradford pears were blooming. I cut these huge branches, put them in these tall glass vases. They were fabulous in the foyer. They'd been in there about an hour, and I walked in and thought, oh, my gosh, what is that awful odor? But it was because they were contained in a small space. So I would not recommend bringing them in your home. Okay. All right. That's a very good point. And when you're talking about the dogwood, something that I recently learned and just planted in my yard was the red twig dogwood. Mm. Yes. There's a yellow twig also. Both. I haven't seen the yellow twig in many arrangements, but I have seen you and others use that red twig, you know, just as the basis. Yes. So I mean, it's, a, it's, it's really wonderful because it's a, almost, a, a, almost a burgundy red. It's a deep, deep red. And then the yellow is kind of a golden yellow. Um, they both are wonderful. I know they do really well in the north. Uh, northeast, and I think they, they'll do okay here, but it's really more about the twig than the foliage, so it's something you use in the winter months, I believe, a little more frequently, but talking about branches with colors, just a little trick you can do is if you have some curly willow, um, and it's winter months, and you cut it, then you can spray paint it whatever color, say, I'm going to say a, uh, a red, okay? Then put it in water and let it start sprouting. The little new growth will be a chartreuse. Then you can use that in your arrangement. So you'll have a red branch with chartreuse foliage. Interesting. Or purple. I'm, you yeah. can do purple and green. Yeah, I never any even color. thought about spraying, spraying the branches. Very well, neat. I love to use the curly willow branches around Easter time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, right as we're celebrating... Easter, and and things are rising. You know, you've got that beautiful chartreuse foliage that comes out in your house. Absolutely. Okay, well, um, 
What about what about annuals? Are there a lot of annuals that we can go out in our backyard and cut? You know, it really is, and and I think it depends on who you are, but some of my favorite that I find very easy to grow are the zinnias, many different varieties. I love the cosmos. Um, I collect Queen Anne's lace from the side of the highway. In the fall, I get the, the seeds to put in a garden. And then, of course, if you collect them each year, you can reuse them. And depending on the size of your garden, they'll reseed themselves. But celosia, a lot of different varieties. You know, there's like the flame celosia and the coxcomb. Um, and even the hyacinth bean vine. Um, I don't know how many people are familiar with that. But the bloom is really neat. And if you're doing little small vases or little tiny things in your home, that is nice to use. But in the fall, when it starts getting the seed pod and it's that beautiful purple bean, then I like to put that in arrangements as well. So you get both the flower and the seed pod with with that particular one. And so you would go to your local... Um, nursery and ask for a hyacinth bean vine. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, I believe that's what I know. That's what I've always referred to it as, and and I've heard it called. You can get the seeds. So, like on mine, I gather my seeds each year in the fall and save them so I can replant them in the spring. Uh, actually, last year we had a pretty mild winter, so I didn't gather any, and I think I have more this year than I did last year. They reseeded themselves. So you do a cut flower annual bed. I don't have a lot of sun, but I do do a few little things. And actually, my house in Mississippi, I probably grow more than I do here because I have more sun there. Yeah. Um, and perennials. I know you Gracious. use a lot of perennials. Tons of perennials available. And where do you even begin? Um, again, it depends on whether you have a shade garden, a sun garden, but so many perennials are just wonderful for full design. And I think when you have the advantage of using any of these things that we've talked about, whether it's the yard foliage, the blooming shrubs, the blooming trees, uh, annuals, perennials, when you add these things to an arrangement, I think it creates a very organic, natural feel as opposed to more of a contrived feel. And not that all floors do a contrived look, but I think most people consider a contrived look a standard floral design. But I think we're evolving into things that are not as contrived. So I think by having these things, you will be a little bit a step ahead of someone else. And there's certain times of year where um, someone could just go out and do an arrangement out of greenery, isn't there? Oh, there's nothing nicer than just all green arrangement. And it's really very long-lasting. Greenery will hold up so much longer than fresh flowers. So if you go out and do a mixture of four or five different greens, then you can do a fabulous arrangement that will be long-lasting. Mm-hmm. I've even done arrangements uh, in Oasis with mixed greens where I've had the Akuba rooted in the Oasis because it had been there for like two weeks. Oh, wow. So you just take it and plant the whole block of Oasis. <laughs> and lamb's ear. A lot of us have lamb's yeah. ear yeah. out in our yard. Yeah. I know that's great texture in an arrangement. Lamb's ear and Dusty Miller also. They both tend to hold up well, and they're both that wonderful gray and kind of a fuzzy feel to it. Okay, so you've described um, what we're seeing Mm -hmm. out in our backyard. So we're starting to envision in our mind what we're going to go out and clip. Correct. What's next? I think the next thing would be is to pick your container 
And, you know, you probably have so many things at home that you just forgot you have. Look in the back of the closets. You know, what what have you inherited? What have you picked up from garage sales? You know, I think all these little things that you have say who you are. So it's nicer to use those than to go out and buy something new. But not if you want to, you could. But I think you have these other possessions for a reason. Then there are a lot of different mechanics you can work on depending on how you want to do the flower arrangement. If you want the flower arrangement to last, you know, for a long period of time or if you want to give the flowers the longevity that you can, you do better to arrange in water as opposed to oasis. Oasis tends to clog the stem a little and shorten the life of the flower by a few days. Nothing major, but, you know, if you really want to get the the longevity go with water. So then you're up against two different situations. If you do the oasis, yes, you're going to shorten the life of the flower, but you might be able to get a little more stability in putting your flowers where you want them and them staying where you want them. And so if you're a beginner, I would say maybe work with Oasis at first to you have a little more comfort with your overall design. Some of our listeners might not be familiar with Oasis. Mm, That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Oasis, it is the wet foam that you arrange your flowers in. So when you buy it, it's dry, but then you soak it in water. But I recommend that you do not force Oasis underwater because you will create what's called air pockets. Fill a sink or whatever you're going to put your water in. Set the Oasis on top and let it absorb water at its own rate. And then once it has been, once it has sunk into the water, it's below the water level, then it's ready to use. Just don't force it. Uh, then you need to trim it whatever size you need with a knife. Oasis will hold 10 times its weight in water. Once it has been wet and dries out, it will never be used again. It will not absorb water a second time. It can harbor bacteria, so you don't want to wet a piece and keep it for a couple of weeks thinking you can use it later. Um, I would recommend only soaking what you need, Use it at that time. If you're able to put it in the refrigerator for a couple of days, then that might be an okay time to hold it. But I wouldn't hold it longer than that. So the oasis not only holds the flower in position, but it also holds the water. Exactly, so that the flowers can drink. But you need to keep your container full of water also so that the oasis does not dry out. So if I don't have a wholesale florist, where do I go buy oasis? Uh, Michael's. I think Joanne's Fabrics, most craft stores, I would say. But you could also go to a retail flower shop or you could go to the grocery chains. Okay. And but don't sell get it. the green styrofoam oasis confused with the foam oasis that Correct. goes in order. Correct. I, just make sure you ask for the wet foam oasis that okay. you arrange flowers in. So you, you're you suggesting that I could use something as simple as a mason jar? Absolutely. Or a tin can? And they're probably, you said, look in the bottom of your closet. They're probably things that aren't going to show. There would be a container where I could make a, a greenery floral arrangement where it's not even going to show, correct? Exactly. A piece of ceramic or a pottery. Okay. So we're, then we use the oasis. If we're not going to use oasis, and you said, you know, just do them in the water. Mm-hmm. How do we fix the container so the flowers won't just drop out? Okay, there's kind of two ways you can work with that. First of all, you can get just basic chicken wire. 
and you can kind of wad it up in a ball, not too tight because you want the chicken wire to be the what we, what we refer to as frogs long time ago. It's what's going to be the cage to hold the stem. So you want to make a loose ball, put it into your container, fill it with water, then you put your flowers between the openings of the chicken wire. So if it's a container that's not glass or clear, that works perfect. In the case that you have clear glass, then what you'd like to do, or what you should do, there are two different types of tape that we work with. One is called Oasis tape. It's green. And then one is called clear anchor tape. So you, the clear is what I would recommend. And over the top of your vase, make a grid system that's maybe inch and a half, two inch opening, kind of depending on the size of your container, really. But make a grid system with them going horizontal and vertical, and then run the clear tape around the side of the top so that it helps hold that tape in place. Now you've created a grid system, and you do the same thing. We're going to come back in just a few minutes after a quick break and learn more about how to prepare containers in our house for floral arrangement. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Hi, everybody. It's Don Zabkar, your host for Who Knew? We air Mondays 2 to 3 on America's Web Radio and then occasionally throughout the week. We've got some great subjects. This administration or this regime, as you know, is providing us with great material. So stay tuned. Check us out. America's Web Radio. It's Who Knew? with Don Zapcar. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. We're back with John Grady Burns talking about containers in our house that we can use to make simple arrangements. And, you know, it's scary just to grab a handful of flowers and stick them in a clear vase filled with water. So John was explaining how we can create a grid system with the tape to kind of hold the flowers in place. Now, what other tricks do you have? Well, let me back up for a second. By creating that grid system, you're also allowing yourself to use less flowers to fill your container because gravity automatically pulls the flower to the side of the container. So if you did not have a grid system, you're going to end up using three times the amount of flowers to get something to stand up in the middle. So if you do the grid system, you give out less flowers, uh, and then you're able to just create a look that's a little looser and airier. But I'm also going to back up. We were talking about the tin cans. And what I like about the tin cans is, you know, right now we're all trying to be, uh, you know, green. We're trying to be eco-friendly. So I love taking the tin cans, and you can wrap them with ribbon. You can hot glue moss on them. You could take fabric and cover those. I've done it with construction paper. Uh, you can wrap the outside of this tin can with anything that helps 
create a look and a feel for either your home or an event and then do your flowers in it. So you have this great container that you can use over and over and over. So it's like glass. But anyway, just mm-hmm. to throw that in to be a little green. <laughs> well, and let's let's talk about Pinterest right here. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you wanted to go on Pinterest and look at floral arrangements, just like you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. about looking at the photograph and copying it. Yes. Pinterest would have numerous ideas on what you can do to a tin can or do the, the most unusual flower containers that you've never heard of that are just going to come out of your pantry. Absolutely. Uh, Pinterest is a plethora of beauty. <laughs> it is a plethora of creativity. Uh, it is amazing what you can find photographs of. And, yes, you could, you know, specifically put in limelight hydrangeas, and it would just throw all of these wonderful arrangements. And in turn, you know, by looking at all of these these photographs that are available to you, I think that's where a lot of inspiration for you could come from as far as the design that you want to do, the container that you want. I think the more we expose ourselves to visually, the more creative our mind becomes. I, uh, sure. And if you're, you know, a little bit intimidated about making an arrangement from your backyard, I would think it would be a huge help to, to l- just pick a guide and then follow the guide what someone else has done. Absolutely. So Pinterest would be a great source for you to um, to go and look at to get some great ideas. Until your own imagination and floral design. Until that kicks in. Kicks in. <laughs> so you mentioned frogs. Now, what are frogs? Well, you know, years ago, uh, floral design was all based with frogs. That was long before we had Oasis. Uh, but they were probably used in the home more so than in the retail industry. But they're metal frogs, and it's a little heavy, round, or square disc with look like little nails sticking up. And so you would put that in the bottom of your container, and then you would put in your flowers, and they would go into the little nails, and that's what would hold them in place, similar to the grid system. But it was on the bottom of the container as opposed to the top. But then they also had some that were glass. And they were round, and they were kind of mounded, and they had holes in them. And so the flowers would be inserted into those openings, the holes. And that one is the the glass one, I should say, the, the, the last one I mentioned, is probably one that was used more frequently for spring-type flowers. And ladies would put them in like a low bowl, whether it were glass, ceramic, silver, and then they would let their tulips put a tulip or because hyacinths were a little too large to go in there but daffodils and put them into these openings and then they would just create this natural looking mound of tulips or daffodils or narcissus so it's great for spring bulbs and it gives you that kind of um a retro feel but yet it's still very clean and it's very simple and it's easy for you if you're not a designer it, it gets kind of a, you know, ABC book. You put one stem in each hole and bam, it's done. There you go. Instead of paint by numbers, it's design there by you number. Go. <laughs> so when you go to garage sales or estate sales, do containers catch your eye? Always. Always. I just, um, I have to throw in a little tidbit here. Um, years ago, my parents were moving out of the house that I grew up in. And so my mother gave me this box, and she said, this is a bunch of containers that I thought you might enjoy having. So I started looking through them. I was like, wow, this is great. And, oh, this is beautiful. Wow. And I said, mother, where did these come from? And she looked at me real sheepishly, and she says, well, 
I always felt guilty, so I kept them in this box in the top of the closet. But those were all the vases that my boyfriends before your daddy brought me from different countries during the war. <laughs> so to me, those were just treasures. I love doing flowers in those. But those are the very type containers that you would find at estate sales and garage sales. And they're just simple little containers, and some are hand-painted, and some are colored glass, and some are ceramic. I mean, they're just there's just this plethora of containers. But you just, you know, pick something that speaks to you and what you have in your garden. So like here, I have roses and hydrangeas. Those are the two things I I, I probably tend to cut the most. So I want containers that I can do little mounds of these in, and those are perfect. Mm -hmm. And really, the sky is the limit when you're thinking about a container. Yes. If you know mechanics, because... uh, a person who understands mechanics can take anything and turn it into a flower container. Am I wrong? Pretty much you're right, I have to say. Because you can take that oasis and tape it on to anything in the world, put some watertight foil underneath it, yep. and voila, you've, you've got a flower container. I've even come to a situation where I had a candelabra and I needed to do a flower arrangement. It had a little well in the center for um, for Oasis, but it was really small. So I needed to make it larger. So I took some uh, heavy-duty saran wrap. I wrapped my block of Oasis in it. I put it onto a clear glass plate, taped it to it, put it on top of the candelabra, and there you are, voila, you yeah. had a container. Yeah. So when I poked the stems into the cellophane, it went through the cellophane, but the water didn't come out. So it helped hold the water in, but yet it was just a plate. Isn't that great? And it's also wonderful if you're doing a gazebo, you know, and you don't want your flowers to dry out too soon. Wrap it in cellophane mm-hmm. and then wire it to your gazebo yeah, or that's, arch. That's a great idea. So um, do you want to describe any of the sizes of of um, flower arrangements or, you know, if we should start low or if we should start branchy or, you know, give them, can you give them the elbow to wrist? Can you describe that <laughs> measurement? Yeah, that, that's a really, uh, a, a pretty simple, easy way to judge if your flower arrangement is too large to have a conversation over at the dinner table. So if you put your elbow on the table and raise your hand straight up, then at your wrist, Turn the palm of your hand facing the table. So you've created kind of an L shape. Um, if the flower arrangement is below your wrist, then you will be able to see over that arrangement to have a conversation for seated dinner. So just a little, you know, tidbit of a rule. And I know some people have long arms and some people have short, but it's the basic rule that you, you'll always be do, you, you'll be done right by it each time. <laughs> but when you're first starting, I would recommend that you start a little small. Don't try anything too large and overpowering. Something as simple as three hydrangeas and six roses and a little mound in a vase just to kind of get a feel of how to cut your stems. You know, if you cut them too short, you can't glue it back on. I'd rather you cut it too long and then just slowly whittle away on it till you get it in the right place. But that's the best way to kind of learn cutting your stems, inserting them into a container, uh, generally in a vase in in that case, but even in Oasis. People always say, well, how do I know how far to push it into the Oasis? That's a really hard question because you need to put it in enough that you know it's secure and it's not going to fall out. 
but you also need to have it deep enough in the oasis that it can drink. Even though the container has oasis and it may be full of water, if you think about it, gravity pulls things down. So if your if your stems are just at the outer edge of the oasis, they're not going to be able to drink. They need to be a little, little bit further in. But every stem in the arrangement can't be pushed into the center of the block. So it's a learning lesson as to you know how deep to insert that stem. But just make sure that they're deep enough they can drink. So start simple with just a few flowers mm-hmm. and something that's easy. And I've seen John produce an absolutely gorgeous arrangement um, around the holidays by just cutting holly with red berries and putting three Christmas balls exactly in the holly mm-hmm. or some sparkly sticks coming out of it. So yeah. it doesn't have to be anything complex. Not at all. Not at all. You know, generally you follow the shape of either a triangle or a mound. These are two kind of shapes that are pretty typical in floral design. So if you had some branches that were tall, then you could create more of a triangular arrangement. If everything's a little low, like um, cedar and and pine, then you might want to create more of a mound-type arrangement. But you could add any kind of branches, any kind of twigs. Uh, You know, like you said, at Christmas it could be all evergreens, and then you just insert some Christmas bulbs in it. You could... um, you know, at Easter, you could do all greenery or just flowering branches, cover the oasis with moss, and put a few Easter eggs in it. So when you say triangle, are you saying one branch or one line in the center and then two coming out of either side of the vase? Pretty much that's your basic shape to a triangle. But what you have to think about is take the top of the triangle and visually go down to the right side and visually go down to the left side. The flowers that you are greenery, if you're doing all greenery, whatever you place into that arrangement needs to follow that shape so that you've created the triangular shape. So you can't just put three branches and call it a day. So you need to fill the space between it. But basically, yes, you would have one strong one in the middle, one to the right, one to the left. That's your triangle. Then put everything else in that shape, within that triangular shape. Right. That's your outline. And then exactly. you just fill in. And that's easy. Mm-hmm. Easy peasy. So when you start to do a mound arrangement, do you have an outline like you do with the triangle? You could. You could start with the base and look at it from a bird's eye view and create a circle with your greenery. Put one to the right, one to the left, one to the top, one to the bottom. Then fill in in between. Then when you come up, you probably want to come up either the same height as your width or just a little bit taller. Then again, that's your outline. So then fill everything in between that and create like a scoop of ice cream. It's called a pavé. Mm-hmm. Pave shape. Mm-hmm. And if we ever use carnations in an arrangement, we only use them when we create a pave arrangement. Is that correct? Especially when you create a pave. <laughs> Love the texture of carnations in a pave. They're beautiful. Yeah. It's my favorite. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I would think that we could look through magazines, we could look on Pinterest. Everywhere we look, we could see a flower arrangement that now based on your instruction, we Mm -hmm. could copy in our homes for any event, any holiday, any situation. I would think so. I can't imagine that you couldn't. So any other words of encouragement to keep people from not taking that first step out to do their own and calling 1-800-Flowers? Call me. (laughs) (laughs) No, just don't be afraid, truly. Don't be afraid. We all have to start somewhere. I did. (laughs) 
Well, and the seasonal thing is very important, too, in that, you know, you're envisioning things that are in your garden during that season. Correct. So um, when we we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to talk about the classes that you teach and um, the books that you've written. So stay stay in your seats, and we'll be right back with more of John Grady Burns. Hi, everybody. It's Don Zabkar, your host for Who Knew? We air Mondays 2 to 3 on America's Web Radio and then occasionally throughout the week. We've got some great subjects. This administration or this regime, as you know, is providing us with great material. So stay tuned. Check us out. America's Web Radio. It's Who Knew? with Don Zapkar. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Quick stakes. That's Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Hello, I'm Steve Gross. I'm the host of The Gross Reality, and we're a show that every week talks about ways to run your business better, ways to uh, improve technology that you're using to make more profits and keep your costs down. We're always looking out for you and looking out for ways to make your business more successful. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to you every Wednesday afternoon on The Gross Reality. With all the back and forth in today's politics, It seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Master Gardener Hour. We're with John Grady Burns talking about simple arrangements from the backyard. And you've given us a lot of information and a lot of encouragement to to tackle this on our own. Um, but for people that want to go further, tell us a little bit about the classes that you teach at Hall's Atlanta Floral Design School. Um, let me first say, of course, I'm not the only floral design teacher, so depending on where you are, what part of the country, I think you could probably Google um, floral design classes and find something close to your area. But should you like to come to Atlanta, I'd be happy to have you in my class. <laughs> what I like to pride myself in in my classes is that I really want to teach you the basics. I want you to understand the mechanics of putting an arrangement together. I want you to understand the scale of the arrangement for either the location and or your container. Um, I do want you to learn some basics on flowers because some people come in not knowing really what any type of flower is. So I really want to teach you the basics. So we teach several primary classes throughout the year, and they're considered three-week classes. And the way it works, it's three hours a day, three days a week for three weeks. So it's 9 to noon on Tuesday through Thursday for three weeks. 
Um, so those of you who don't live in Atlanta, it's a great opportunity to come visit and shop and play when you're not in class. Uh, but anyway, when you're in class, we're going to work and we're going to have a lot of fun. But I really do. I, I like teaching you the basics. And in that class, we also cover different periods of floral design. So we go back to like, you know, the Edwardian period and the Biedermeier period and the Victorian period. And we then we come in with some culture. We do some Ikebana designs. So we try to expose you to a lot of different looks, a lot of different fields, and then a lot of different basics. So we hope that when you leave, you have all the basics you need to move forward and be a little more creative. Then we also teach Saturday classes, and these are our one-day classes. They're from 9 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon, and they're specific. Um, the one that's coming up, I think it has sold out again already so quickly, but it's called Frosty Festivities. And we'll do one fall arrangement and three holiday arrangements. But then we also do an Ikebana, so we do four different designs. We do uh, beautiful centerpieces, so they're different centerpieces that we can work with. So in your um, primary design, the, the one you're talking about, the three-week yep. design class, how many arrangements would you teach in one day? On the average, you do two, probably three. I would say easily three. Sometimes we do two. Sometimes we do four. But I'd say on the average, you do at least two designs a day. And these are hands-on. I mean, you come and you do those. So, you know, what I want you to do is when you come to the class, we're going to go over all of the basics first, and then you're going to actually do the arrangement. So I'll do it. You can ask questions. We talk about it, and then we turn it over and let you do it. So when you leave, these are your flowers. You've paid for them each day. When you come to class, you get everything you need. You literally just walk in the door. There's snips, there's tape, there's any tools that you need. There's an apron, there's a little turntable. I mean, you choose the table and you have fun. And then at the end of the class, it's all yours, everything. The tools are yours, the flowers are yours. So, you know, I feel like it's a great uh, a great value for the money that you pay. You know, a lot of people do think, oh, that's a little expensive. And, and don't quote me, but I think it's somewhere around fourteen or $1,500 for the, for the class. But... You know, you're not only do you leave with product, but you leave with great knowledge. And I'll ask you, how did how did you feel when you took the class? Well, it's just amazing. It's about the most fun I've ever had. It's like going to kindergarten, you know, because there's there are no expectations. You know nothing, and you walk out with these unbelievable creations that you just can't believe that you've been taught to do. I always get so tickled at the end of class, you know, the last week, because we, we do baby steps. You know, I try to, I shouldn't say I, Mark and I have set this up where you do baby steps. So whatever you do the first day, you kind of repeat it the second day, and we add a little bit to it. And then the third day, you repeat the same thing from the first and the second, but we add a little bit to it. And I always get tickled at the end when people do this huge arrangement and they're like I cannot believe I did this I can't believe I did this and it's an arrangement like you would see on a buffet table or in a church for you know a wedding ceremony so people are usually quite amazed that they were able to do that by the end of the class and not only are you doing the huge mass like would be on a in a wedding yeah you're also doing the little um, boutonnieres yes. which is amazing that you're learning to do something that minute 
that requires all the stem wrapping. Well, see, that's what I consider mechanics. That's learning everything you can to make anything happen. So it's taping, it's wiring, it's ribbons, you know, it's oasis, it's water. So anything that you would need to know to be able to be more creative, uh, I hope that's what you get from this class. I remember once my instructor saying that if you really know all of the basics and you really understand um, the mechanics, he said, there's absolutely nothing you cannot do in this industry. And I've never forgotten that. And so often brides will come to me and they'll show me a photograph and they'll say, I really like this. Can you do it? I said, sure, no problem. And we sit down and talk and they leave and I think, now how in the world am I going to do that? <laughs> but I've never not been able to do it. Yeah. You know, I just put my mind to it. And I think the logistics um, of delivering an event and the logistics of sometimes putting things together, the mechanics of it, is as creative and challenging as actually the full designs. Having attempted to do it, I totally agree with you, John. <laughs> but um, the the classes, the three-week class is an undertaking, particularly someone from out of town. I know yes. you've had out of town people, but yes. they probably leave for the weekend and then come back, don't Most they? of them do. That's correct. Okay. Um, and the Saturday classes, talk about the Saturday classes, the one days, because you do all, sort, all sorts oh, yeah. of different themes on those. Yeah, we really do. We try to do uh, one that we, you know, it's all about corsages and boutonnieres. It's one all about bouquets, just the bouquets that brides or bridesmaids may carry. We do centerpieces. We do one that was like a glass class that was just working in nothing but glass containers. Uh, we do the holidays. So we, we try to come up with something a little new and different, you know, each season, but still being based on centerpieces and personal flowers. Because these things are all important to you, too. I mean, you want to know how to do anything in the industry, anything and everything. So we, we offer these. Now, in October is when we usually release our schedule for the following year. So this year we have a primary class in September. I think it starts the second week and goes for three weeks. And I think there may be one or two openings in that. Then we have one more Saturday class, and that's the first week in October, which is Frosty Festivities. But I think we're trying to work on a second class because the first, you know, the first one is full. I think we'll take up to 16 as the max. My favorite is 10 to 12. That's that's what I like. Um, but anyway, what you could do is you could go to HallsFullDesignSchool.com, or you could also go to HallsAtlanta.com, I believe, and there's a link to the school. But you could go on and register and get your name on the mailing list, the email list, and then when uh, Mark releases the new schedule, you would be able to get it right away. I will say that if you're really interested in a class, when it comes out, you call immediately and book because so many of the classes do book up really fast, especially the Saturday classes. So if there's one you want, make sure you get on the list immediately. So for those of you that aren't necessarily understanding these southern accents, it's Halls, H-A-L-L-S. <laughs> so give me the website one more time, John. Okay, it's Halls, H-A-L-L-S, <laughs> Atlanta Floral Design School. Com. Okay, and we can look at the whole schedule for the year. And I know you have beginners just like me walk mm -hmm. into that class, and then you probably have people that do have some experience. But your intent, if they take the, the three-week primary course, your intent is that they could 
do this in the business, right? They could go I, to work. I feel like they should have enough experience that they should be able to be a starter designer in a shop. They, they know just enough to be able to say, I can do this. Most flower shops are going to have their own look and their own feel and their own way of doing things. So you're the kind of person they would like to take under their wings so that they can train you to do it the way they want it done. Just because I do it one way doesn't mean it's the only way. That's why I love being exposed to other designers and other um, design events because you can learn so many different ways to achieve the same look. And John has a wonderful business where he does special events and does all the floral floral arrangements and um, the set for the special events. And I know that that has led you into becoming an author. Can you t- tell us a little bit about your books? Yeah, I'm excited to. Um, I have two books out. The first one is called Personally Yours, and it's flowers for weddings, parties, and events. And it's actually uh, where we photographed events that I did over a five-year period. So I call it Personally Yours because each person has their own look and their own feel, and they want their wedding to be speak who they are or their dinner party to speak as to who they are. So hence I call it personally yours. So that's part of it. It's to show you all the different looks that I can do. The second book is called Evergreen, Decorating with the Colors of the Season. And colors is spelled with a U. This one I've done in conjunction with two of my partners, Jill Helmer and Kathy Stewart, and they're both sisters. Um, the three of us uh, met up years ago and uh, So we do a lot of Christmas together, and so that's how we came up with this book. So this book is about beautiful interiors that happen to be decorated for the holidays the way we did it as when we were children. Lots of evergreens, lots of berries, red carnations, red roses, very simple, very clean, but very elegant. And how do people get in touch with you if they want to buy your book? Well, um... You could go to, there's a website for both of them. One of them is Personally Yours. The other one is Evergreen. Um, I believe it's personallyyoursflowers.com. And then Evergreen is Evergreen Decorating for the Season or with the Season, something like that. But anyway, you can order them online. Uh, You could also, there's phone numbers. If you're local, you could contact us. There are local places in Atlanta that sell it. We're mostly in boutique-type stores. We're not in the big box stores. Um, so we kind of like that. We're kind of like what they call under the radar, I guess. <laughs> and we're working on another book. Well, I can't wait for that one to yeah, come out. We're excited. It should be out in about a year. So it's just been so nice having you here as our guest, and you've told us so much that um, – gives us great encouragement to go out into the garden and make our own arrangements. And I just can't thank you enough for coming to be with us. But thank you for having me. It's been great. And to all of you that are listening today, we would love to hear from you and find out what other kinds of programs you would like to hear, what topics interest you. If you have questions of any of our interviews, we'd love to hear from you. So send us an email at gm at americaswebradio.com and give us all the feedback that um, we need to know. So please plan to join us next week for a great program and until then, we'll be growing together.